This episode features dramatizations and discussions of violence. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about the Bai Hu. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Chinese legends and stories for dramatic effect. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and each week I dive into one of history's most legendary monsters to discover what they are, where they came from, and what they can tell us about humanity's fears. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we're discussing the Chinese Bai Hu. This mythical white tiger was both the king of all beasts and one of four celestial beings who resided in the heavens. The Bai Hu was worshipped for his heavenly might and his deadly bite. Coming up, we venture into the Chinese wilderness and encounter Bai Hu. The White Tiger, or Bai Hu, is one of the most powerful figures in ancient Chinese mythology, one whose majesty is linked to the stars. In ancient China, Bai Hu was known as a celestial being made up of a series of stellar constellations and one of four gods who ruled the cardinal directions in the night sky. Along with the azure dragon of the east, the black tortoise of the north, and the vermilion bird of the south, the white tiger of the west commanded a quarter of the cosmos. Each of the four symbols were associated with unique seasons, elements, planets, and powers. Bai Hu is associated with the winds, metal, autumn, and the planet known in the western world as Venus. But while in the heavens he was made of the stars themselves, on Earth, Bai Hu was still larger than life. He took the form of a massive white tiger said to roam China's sprawling mountains and dense forests, the king of all beasts. Interactions between humans and tigers were common between the 7th and 9th centuries. Because of this, the white tiger became a part of everyday Chinese life as it stalked the celestial line between heaven and earth. The rare appearance of a white tiger was revered as the physical representation of Bai Hu, and temples dedicated to him could be found throughout mainland China. But not everyone respected the animal. Some clans found the belief in celestial beings foolish and stuck their nose up at the thought of anything greater than themselves. On certain occasions, these unfortunate souls came face to face with the gods, and few deities were as unforgiving as the white tiger. Lu looked across the beautiful Sichuan countryside to glimpse his tiny village on the horizon. His journey was taking him far from home, and the woodsman wanted one last look. It would be two moons before he and the rest of the men from his clan returned, and he hoped they would make it back safely. If he believed in the heavens above, Lu would have said a prayer to bless their town and their mission. But Lu had never seen evidence of a higher power. No god had ever sheltered him or put food on his plate, so he only believed in himself and his own strength. A little hand tapped his shoulder and broke Lu from his daze. A young voice called out behind him, 
Everyone is waiting for you, Uncle. It was Hai, Lu's nephew. Barely twelve, Hai was the youngest of the Pa men. Hai's mother begged Lu to leave Hai in the village, but Lu knew the boy was ready to swing an axe. Logging was hard work in the best of circumstances, and this trip was going to be the toughest expedition yet. The Pa men were headed for the distant forests of Shanxi, after they'd cleared out the pines in their home country. Some said Shanxi was protected by Bai Hu, but Lu wasn't going to be scared away by fairy tales. Lu nodded at his nephew, his eyes still locked on the distant village. Sadness gripped his heart as he turned away from his home. His brothers, cousins, and nephews, 25 in all, sat on horseback, waiting for his call. Lu raised his chin into the air and smiled, shouting, To Shanxi and the finest timber in all of China. The men cheered as Lu got on his horse and led them off. Day and night they traveled, hoping to reach Shanxi as soon as possible, but the terrain grew rougher as they went farther north into the mountains, and the weather took a turn for the worse, with more rain than they were used to in the autumn. Soon they were forced to make camp. As night fell and the full moon peeked over the hills, Lu ate his supper alone on a log away from their campsite. But soon, his nephew, Hai, snuck away from the others and sat down next to his uncle, silent. After a long moment, he confessed, "'My brothers say this trip isn't worth it, Uncle Lu. They say the timbers of Shanxi are sacred, and we have no god to protect us.' Lu kept his eyes down in his bowl of rice as he sighed, "'Hai, the gods don't protect us. We protect each other. Aren't you proud to be a pa?' Lu looked up at his nephew. Hai's face lit up in the firelight as he nodded. Lu mussed the boy's hair and said, We are almost there, I promise. You tell those naysayers that by dusk tomorrow, we'll have cleared half an acre of pines, and there's nothing on earth or in heaven that can stop us. Hai smiled. Then he turned and ran back toward the fire. Lu could hear the boy excitedly tell the others what he'd just said, word for word. It filled Lu with pride. Just then, the growl of a tiger cut through the night. Lu trembled, his pride curdling into fear. It sounded like the beast was right behind him. He turned and strained to see in the darkness. Through the brush, he could just make out the piercing eyes of a tiger and its ghostly white fur. Lu didn't dare move an inch as the massive beast stared back at him. Even crouched in the brush, the tiger was the same height as him. The tiger snorted, then slunk away into the night. It was as if the animal just wanted him to know it was there. Lu waited listening to the branches crunch underneath the beast's paws until the sound faded away. Lu exhaled in relief. He had seen tigers before, but never a white one, and never one so big. Despite his skepticism, a thought crept up from the back of his mind. By who was a white tiger? Lu froze. 
Then he tried to shake off the thought. What he'd seen wasn't a god, he told himself. It was merely the king of beasts. Lou grabbed his bowl and moved closer to his clan. He decided not to tell them about the tiger. They weren't as strong as he was, and they might think it was a bad omen and run back home. This mission was too important, and Lou would see it through no matter what. Up next, Lou's dreams come true, and so do his nightmares. Listeners, I am thrilled to tell you that this month marks a huge milestone for ParCast. It's the four-year anniversary of another fantastic podcast I host called Serial Killers. If you haven't had a chance to dive into the stories and psychology behind the most nightmarish murderers of all time, there's no better time than right now to start listening. Each week, we enter the minds, the methods, and the madness of the world's most sadistic serial killers. From the son of Sam, David Berkowitz, and the co-ed killer Edmund Kemper, to Eileen Wardos, Ed Gein, and coming soon, the Night Stalker Richard Ramirez. And this February, look out for our four-part special on couples who kill, following the worst love has to offer. Their names may sound ordinary, but their atrocities are anything but. Trust me, you do not want to miss it. With hundreds of episodes available to binge and new ones released weekly, get to know the killers, crimes, and cases that forever changed the face of history. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Serial Killers. New episodes air every Monday and Thursday, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. The next morning, Lou had the Paw Clan marching at first light. The men grumbled, but Lou knew if they didn't make it to the Shanxi Forest soon, morale would start to wane. Some of the clan was already hesitant to enter the sacred land for fear of upsetting the tiger god, Bai Hu. If their fear spread to the others, Lu was all too aware he could have an uprising on his hands. But the Pa men didn't have to go far. As Lu led them over the first mountain, he pulled his horse to a stop. He couldn't believe his eyes. Spread out before him were acres of the tallest pine trees Lou had ever seen. He burst out laughing like a madman. Shanxi was more beautiful than he'd imagined. Young Hai rushed to his uncle's side and cried out, They're huge! I didn't know pine trees could grow so big, Uncle Lou. Lou smiled and asked the boy if the long trip was worth it. He expected a joyful answer, but Hai's mood darkened. He pointed to the horizon and noted, Look, smoke, someone lives down there. We can't go in and destroy another person's home, can we? Lou winked at his nephew and reassured him, A clan as powerful as ours can do whatever it wants. Yah! Lou snapped his horse's reins and galloped down the mountain and into the thick grove of pines below. He smiled as laughter and cheers rang out behind him from the others. Lou had led them to the best lumber in China, just as he promised. Soon, Lou spotted the source of the smoke. It came from a dilapidated little temple with faded white paint chipping off its walls. If it wasn't for the smoke billowing out of the chimney, Lou would have assumed the building was abandoned. Maybe a hermit lived there, or a reclusive monk. 
Either way, Lou wasn't worried. The men unloaded the saws and axes and got to work, hacking away at the ancient pines. Lou picked up his axe, too, and pulled back to swing. But from the corner of his eye, he saw the temple door open. A shriveled old monk limped out onto the building's wooden porch. His robes were as white as his hair, and his beard draped down to his belt. He raised the knobby tree branch he used for a cane and pointed directly at Lou. Lou froze, though he wasn't sure why. The monk shook his head and insisted, The temple of Bai Hu sits in a sacred forest. Please do not desecrate my trees. The paw men stopped chopping and turned to Lou. Lou smiled and glanced from the monk to his men. He nodded at them and turned back toward the temple. Lucky for me, I don't worship any god. I believe in the sword and the axe. We have both. You have neither. Men, swing away. Lou stared down the monk while the paw men picked up where they left off, chopping and sawing away at the mighty pines. The monk shook his head at Lou and raised his cane toward the sky. The wind quickly whipped through the trees. The gusts were so powerful that the tops of the pines began to snap and crack. The men continued to chop, but Lou kept his eyes on the monk. Something wasn't right about all this. Suddenly, three roars rang out from the trees. Lou spun around. Waiting just a stone's throw from him were three tigers two orange ones, and a massive white tiger, one he was certain he'd met before. Lou froze in horror. The cats had come out of nowhere as if they'd materialized from the fog. Muscle and sinew rippled across the white tiger's back as it stalked toward him. Lou was in awe. The beast was nearly the size of his horse. The white tiger crept closer, and Lou could swear it was glaring at him. While the rest of the clan screamed and swung their axes wildly at the other two tigers, he couldn't take his off the beast, staring him down. Suddenly, the white tiger whipped its head to the side to stare at a towering pine. As if by magic, the tree snapped in the middle and crashed to the ground, cutting Lou off from the rest of the clan. A chill ran down his spine as he looked back at the tiger. In this moment, he knew without a doubt that he'd been wrong. There were gods, and he was staring one right in the eyes. Lou stammered, hardly able to believe the words he was saying. By who? The tiger opened its mouth, and the voice of the monk spoke through it. That's right, I am the white tiger, and you have no respect for the world around you, only yourself. Lou cried out, I, I believe in you now, I'm sorry. The white tiger smiled, then spoke again. I'm glad, but while you may believe in me, I do not believe in you. Lou glanced from the tiger back to the monk standing on the porch. The monk nodded to him and swung his cane down onto the wooden deck. The moment the cane hit the wood, the tiger leapt for Lou, its giant paw smashing into the side of his head. 
Lou's vision filled with blood and pain shot through his body as the tiger dug its teeth into his shoulder. Then he heard the cries of his family ring out from all around him. The proudest men he knew and the bravest clan in all of China screamed in agony. One by one, he could hear them take their last gasps of breath as the other tigers ate them alive. Lu wailed in anguish as the white tiger ripped his shoulder from its socket and stared in horror as his arm hung limply from the white tiger's jaws like a dead branch. Blood pooled around his body. He could feel his life leaving him. Lu closed his eyes, and for the first time in his life, he prayed, Please spare Hai. He felt the weight of the beast lift off his chest, and Lu opened his eyes. The forest floor was awash in blood. Long, thick streams of red crisscrossed between the trees. Several limbs and gutted torsos surrounded his feet. Then he looked up and saw that Little High was the only one left standing. The boy ran from the gory scene, not bothering to look back at his dying clan. But that was all right. Lou closed his eyes and had one final thought. At least High is safe. Thank the gods. Coming up, we learn about the Bai Hu's sweeter side. Now back to the story. Over the centuries, the worship of China's ancient gods declined. But while some deities retained their prominence, others like Bai Hu faded away. Where the white tiger once commanded a whole temple, in later centuries he would be relegated to a simple shrine in a pagoda's darkest corner. But Bai Hu was still respected, and his shrine was easy to pick out. There would always be offerings of raw pork sitting at the tiger's feet. Because though the ancient god may have lost many of his believers, like the monk whose forests were threatened by Lu and the Pa clan, there were still those who remained faithful. And for them, Bai Hu was their fiercest defender. The white tiger could be depended on to protect devout villagers from famine, feuds, and even scheming politicians. Xin Tuan leaned on her crutch, watching her crops like a hawk from her window. Lately, tigers from the surrounding forest had snuck into the village to devour her neighbor's livestock. Xin was far too poor to own animals, but she didn't want the beast trampling her wheat. The grain was her only livelihood, in addition to the little money her son brought home from his new job as a shepherd. The village was in a state of hysteria because the tigers were coming in threes. One white tiger trailed by two orange ones. Tigers never hunted in a pack, but these three stalked the streets every night to pick off the upper class's pigs and chickens. No one knew where they came from, and everyone was on edge. The local judges blamed the attacks on the villagers, claiming their lack of faith in the gods had brought on the slaughter. Xin Tuan didn't really like her neighbors, and she found their faith to be weak at best. But if there was anyone she disliked more, it was the judges, especially the one most recently elected, Chang. 
Chang constantly raised taxes without investing in the community. He took the best grains for himself and let the roads fall into disrepair, and the only people who seemed to be thriving were the well-connected, while Sheen and her son starved. But in Sheen's eyes, Chang certainly wasn't a godly man either. Sheen and her son Fan, on the other hand, were devout worshippers of Bai Hu. She couldn't help but see the White Tiger's visits as a sign that good things were coming to them. And it was about time. The front door to the cottage slammed behind Sheen, shaking her from her thoughts. Sheen smiled. Her son Fan was home, and that meant it was dinner time. Fan's employer was so pleased with his work that he'd been giving Fan bonuses of fresh meat. A hungry Sheen made her way to their tiny kitchen to meet him. Fan, did you bring back something delicious for me? You know it's a boy's greatest duty to his poor old mother. Sheen's voice faded as she stared in shock at her son. Fan's clothes were torn and muddy. He pressed his back firmly against the door, gasping for breath as the small piece of white jade in his necklace, the only thing of value they truly owned, rose and fell on his chest. Sheen rushed to her son's side as fast as her hobbled leg could take her. What's wrong? My gods, are you hurt? Fan shook his head, then shoved a bloody rag into her hand. Sheen opened it to see a cut of fresh pork inside. Her belly rumbled and she was almost distracted from her son's plight until she heard heavy boots clomp through the mud outside. Sheen glanced out the window to see guards by their door. The sight was scary, but the way Fan ducked down out of sight was even scarier. Sheen was horrified. Her son was a nice boy who took good care of her. He'd never get into trouble. Sheen whispered, are they after you? Fan took her hand and squeezed it. His breath finally steady, he answered, whatever happens, know that everything I've done, I've done for you. Then Fan kissed his mother and ran out the back door. Sheen shuffled after him and pulled open the door. The sun was setting and the twilight made it hard to see. But in the distance, just beyond the wheat, she could see the trees shake like a herd of animals was running through them. Roars rang out from the trees and terror filled Sheen's heart. The tigers were out and she feared her son would be killed. Sheen shouted for him to come back, but there was no reply. Fan was gone. Sheen went back inside. If she couldn't get Fan to return, the best she could do was to pray for his safety. Sheen grabbed the slab of pork and knelt before her makeshift shrine to Bai Hu. She laid the meat at the feet of the idol and lit a candle. But before she could pray, guards kicked through her front door, snapping it in two. Four men rushed in, angry expressions on their faces. Sheen stared at them in disbelief and shouted, What are you doing in my home? The lead guard said nothing. Instead, he snatched her off the ground and barked to the others, A Bai Hu shrine. We should have known. Sheen struggled against his grip and insisted that she'd done nothing wrong, but the guards paid her no mind as they dragged the elderly woman out into the street. 
The whole town ran outside, stirred to life by the commotion. Their watchful eyes tracked Sheen as she passed. She shouted for help, but no one came to her defense. They just followed the guards as they dragged her into the town square. Sheen landed on the ground, her leg throbbing in pain. When she glanced up, the new judge, Chang, stood over her. His face was twisted in disgust, but that was nothing new. He always looked unpleasant. He asked his guards, Why did you bring this wretched old hag to me? The head guard cleared his throat and proclaimed, we chased the tigers down her street and found a Bai Hu shrine in her shack. She must have summoned these beasts. Sheen covered her head as her neighbors began to throw rocks at her. She cried out that the guard was lying, but it was no use. Chang stared down at Sheen, indifferent to the mob stoning the poor woman. His hand moved to the knife at his belt. When a voice cut through the din and shouted, it wasn't her, it was me. Sheen looked up to see Fan. Her son had come back. The hail of rocks subsided, and the crowd looked at Fan with a peculiar mix of outrage and intrigue. Sheen begged her son, please don't do this for me. But Fan didn't look at his mother. He kept his eyes on the judge as he marched forward. I am the white tiger. For months, my mother and I have starved. All your people have starved. And what do you do? Raise our taxes, steal our food. So I prayed to Bai Hu, and he blessed me with the powers of a were-tiger, so that my mother and I might survive this famine. Fan's eyes narrowed, and he pointed at Chang. You have brought this suffering on your own people. Sheen shook her head her heart broken. Fan was going to get himself killed just to protect her. She knew that the meat he brought home came from his employer, and she couldn't understand why he would lie. Every villager's eyes gazed at Chang's emotionless face. Finally, he cracked a smile, which quickly turned into a cackle. Poor Fan Tuan, you've lost your mind, and if you are not a killer, you are still a danger to us all, so I hereby banish you from this land. The guards quickly descended on Fan. The young man screamed and thrashed, his white jade necklace swinging from side to side. You cannot do this. My mother will starve. I swear to you, I speak the truth. There was nothing Sheen could do now but cry. Tears streamed from her eyes, and she sank to her knees as she watched the guards drag Fan toward the south gate. For a long time, long after the villagers had left, she stayed there, staring at where her son had been dragged away. But then, slowly, she pulled herself up and dusted herself off, battered and bleeding. Sheen Twan limped home. The next morning, Sheen sat in her kitchen alone. She hadn't slept, and her face was sore from weeping all night. She knew she would never see her son again. It was foolish of him to ever call upon by who, she thought. She didn't believe Fan had actually turned himself into the white tiger, but he thought he did. Her boy was sick, and there was no way he would survive out in the wilderness all alone. 
Sheen heard a low growl and eerie scratches at her back door. She bolted upright, dizzy from the sudden movement. She feared she was losing her mind now, too. She tiptoed toward the door and pushed it open. On her back porch was a dead pig, fat and juicy enough to feed her for at least a month. Sheen lifted her eyes to the tree line behind her house. The white tiger stood just on the edge of her property. His head hung in shame. But it wasn't the tiger's head that caught Sheen's attention. It was a small piece of white jade hanging around its neck. Sheen's jaw dropped. Fan was telling the truth. She limped into the yard, crying, Fan, please come back. But the white tiger turned back toward the woods and disappeared. Over the years, Sheen Twan lived well. The white tiger kept providing for her, and the old woman even outlived Chang, who was hanged in the town square after he stopped paying his guards. Sheen barely noticed as the village was consumed by famine and feuding. She just tended to her crops and ate to her heart's content. And while she was lonely, she knew she was not alone. A boy's greatest duty was to his mother, and thanks to Bai Hu and his strange blessings, Sheen knew Fan would always take care of her. The White Tiger meant many things to the people of China. He was thought to have the power to cast out illness and to save his followers from a number of dangers, shipwrecks and imprisonment to name a few. But Bai Hu also blessed those with strong familial ties, particularly those who took care of their mothers. And for these reasons and more, ancient China revered the Great White Tiger. They believed that the white tigers they saw in the wild were by who, or at least earthly representations of him. However, white tigers may not be the only embodiment of the ancient god. In fact, according to Taoism, he's also known to shapeshift, sometimes taking a human form. But even so, it's by whose form as a white tiger that has become symbolic of majesty and power. In ancient China, it was believed that tigers would earn supernatural status after they had lived for 500 years. Only then would the beast's tail turn white and he would become an immortal, wise being. And perhaps this is in part why white tigers seem almost otherworldly, even today. But while centuries ago ancient China was teeming with tigers of multiple species and the sighting of a cat with white fur was natural, today it's anything but. Endangered populations have meant that tigers are few and far between, and the rare genetic mutation of white fur is an almost impossible anomaly. And yet the desire to recreate these majestic animals has led to generations of inbreeding, creating tigers plagued with health problems that would never survive in the wild. Taoist beliefs center on the balance between man and the universe, and a respect for the nature around them. The state of white tigers today is a sad irony compared to the animal's former sacred status. It's likely that ancient Taoists would see this as an affront to the natural order of things and would find this practice rather despicable. Maybe even despicable enough for grave retribution from the claws and jaws of the fearsome, majestic 
by who? Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on the legends of tigers in China, amongst the many sources we used, we found Charles Hammond's essay, An Excursion in Tiger Lore, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Listeners, don't forget to check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Every Monday and Thursday, take a deep dive into the minds and madness of history's most notorious murderers. You can binge hundreds of episodes, four years worth, and catch new episodes weekly. Listen to Serial Killers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>